In previous documentaries in this series, we have seen that many of the important foundational principles and discoveries of modern science, not only are they in full harmony with the Bible, but they were anticipated by Scripture even thousands of years before scientists recognized them. Now, in this time, we're going to see that how many scriptures give accurate details concerning the nature of light and electricity and matter and time that have been confirmed by modern scientific discoveries. And these, in turn, have enabled man to master these things and create new technology like radio, television, telephone, satellite communication, cars, planes, nuclear bombs. The amazing thing is that the Bible often anticipates and predicts these inventions, especially in its description of end-time events, even though these things would be well beyond the power of human imagination at the time that they were written. Now, of course, the writers of Scripture didn't formulate these statements in modern scientific terminology for the simple reason that such language didn't exist then. They had to use everyday language, comprehensible to the people of their times. And it had to be written in terms that would be understood by all generations, not just modern, modern scientific man, as it were. Uh, and so, nevertheless, these statements are always amazingly accurate, even by the most vigorous modern scientific requirements. Uh, in that the, the language used, you see, provides a correct description of the nature of things according to what we have discovered through modern operational science and, and verified and, and what we've invented. And these descriptions in the Bible would have been counterintuitive. They, they wouldn't have seemed sensible to the people of the time, but nevertheless, the Bible put it that way. Is this accuracy just lucky coincidence, or is it a sign of the divine origin of the Bible? I'll leave you to decide on that one. The laws that govern the universe, you see, are increasingly being brought to light today. And the Creator knew these laws all the time. So God, you see, to show He's the true Creator, He disclosed some of these secrets in His book. And uh, so that at the proper time, they would be understood. And so it is. With the fulfillment of Bible prophecy in the same way, God declares the truth beforehand, truth that only he could know. So he also declared scientific inventions and discoveries ahead of time, giving us a clear witness that his word is true. I say that's his supernatural signature upon Scripture, and that when these things are invented and discovered, we'll see in the Bible that they were anticipated. Well, first of all, we're going to look at the fact that the Bible predicted there would be a great increase in knowledge in the end times. Daniel 12.4 says, O Daniel, shut up the books and seal the book, even to the time of the end, the end time. Many shall run to and fro, and knowledge shall be increased. Here the Bible predicts a great increase of knowledge in the end times. And this Hebrew word for increase implies not just an addition of knowledge, but a multiplication. In other words, the knowledge that is increasing exponentially in the time of the end. Now, we could apply this to the knowledge of the Word of God, especially in regard to understanding end-time prophecy, especially Daniel's prophecies, as they become unsealed in the time of the end. In other words, in the end times, 
Many will run to and fro through the pages of Scripture, comparing Scripture with Scripture and thereby increasing in understanding of God's prophetic word. And I believe this has been fulfilled over the last hundred years or so. And it is being fulfilled as world events come towards their end time climax. But the language used here by Daniel can also be generally applied to all kinds of knowledge. It describes the end times of being a time marked by greatly increased to and fro communications and travel available to many. It says many shall run to and fro, uh, not just a few. And so it, this results, you see, in the ever-increasing growth of knowledge that will happen in the end times. This has been fulfilled, of course, in our time. And so it predicts an, a massive increase of science and technology in the end times, making this one of the signs of living near the end of the age. It goes without saying that this began to be fulfilled a few hundred years ago with the rise of modern science. And in the last 150 years, this knowledge has, has been exploded. In the increase is amazing in technology, in discovering of the uses of electricity, and especially communications, and the inventions of, of automobiles, trains, aeroplanes, computers, and internet. And these have all taken place relatively recently together after thousands of years of relatively small increases of knowledge. These changes have changed our world beyond recognition, and they make it this time now a unique time in Earth's history, in man's history, fulfilling Daniel's prophecy of what it will be like in the end times. This is so much of an exact prophecy that knowledge actually is presently doubling every two years. And so it's surely significant that this dramatic increase of knowledge has happened in the same century as the rebirth of Israel, which is the major sign of being in the end times. And so we note, first of all, that the Bible predicts a unique time near the end of the age of ever-increasing scientific knowledge and technology and travel. And this is clearly being fulfilled at this time. The language used by Daniel fits the modern world so well that it couldn't be just a coincidence. And now we're going to see, first of all, how some of these modern scientific discoveries were anticipated in the Bible and then we're going to point out some of the world-changing inventions that arose out of these discoveries and that these were also predicted by the Bible. Well, we're going to look now at the atomic structure of matter, the nature of matter. Now, one of the most important developments of modern chemistry and physics is the atomic theory of matter. Uh, and this is, says that all matter is composed of extremely small atoms or elements. The fundamental idea of this is that as you break something up into smaller and smaller pieces, there's a limit beyond which you cannot go. You eventually get to the smallest possible particles called fundamental particles, which are the, like the building blocks of all matter. Thus matter exists in discrete finite units and is indivisible. Uh, these units are indivisible and they can't be divided up any further. Now the alternative to this idea is that matter is continuous and thus you can divide it into infinitely small pieces. Uh, it would be possible, theoretically at least. And since, these, since the p fundamental particles you see are so small, well beyond our ability to see them, uh, this continuous view uh, seems to make sense. It's hard to tell. And, and so it, it seems to even agree well with our observations that, that matter and, and time is continuous. And yet the Bible says something different. It says that there is an atomic 
There are fundamental particles, and even though that may contradict our feeling that the world is continuous. Well, in 400 BC, the Greek philosopher Democritus speculated that matter was made of tiny indivisible particles, and he called them atoms. And his idea was, at the time was taken very s with great skepticism. Uh, the great scientists of the time, like Aristotle, rejected that. They thought that he thought that all matter was made up of proportions of earth, fire, air, and water. But what does the Bible say about this issue? Hebrews 11.3 says, By faith we understand that the worlds were framed, that is, the universe was formed by the word of God, so that the things which are seen were not made of things which are visible. Now, we can see this scripture on two levels, the physical and the spiritual. You see, God made the natural world to be parallel to the spiritual world, so that the truths in the spiritual realm actually are paralleled by truths in the natural realm. So God often uses language that we can apply naturally and spiritually. For example, whatever you sow, you shall reap. We can apply that physically to, to a farmer, and we can apply it spiritually. And this biblical principle is repeated in various ways. That what you do to others, see what you sow to others, what you do to others, will be done to you. And that's a reflection of Newton's third law of action and reaction, that whenever you apply a force to someone else, they apply an equal and opposite force to you. And that's a picture of a spiritual uh, law. Be merciful and you'll receive mercy. Uh, judge not lest you be judged. So physical truths often reflect spiritual truths. So first of all, let us see Hebrews 11.3 from a spiritual point of view. It says that this physical, visible universe was not made from pre-existing matter, but it came into being from a spiritual source, God. But secondly, it is impressive that God chose language that would also hold true on a physical level, as well as the spiritual level. That is, the things which are seen were not made of things which are visible, actually correctly describes the atomic theory that visible matter is made from things, that is atoms, which are unseen, very small things. It has a basis, in other words, that undergirds its existence, which is invisible, consisting of things or atoms that cannot be seen with the human eye. And so the spiritual truth is reflected in the parallel physical truth of the atomic theory. Let's go to, to Peter now, because in describing the end of the universe, 2 Peter chapter 3 says what will happen to the elements. And these words, elements, is actually the Greek word that indicates these fundamental particles. The heavens will pass away with a great noise, and the elements will melt with fervent heat. Both the earth and the works that are in it will be burnt up. Therefore, since all these things will be dissolved, what manner of persons ought you to be in holy conduct and godliness, looking for and hastening towards the coming of the day of God, because of which the heavens will be dissolved, being on fire, and the elements will melt with fervent heat? We'll come back to this passage later, but for now, just notice this, that twice this word elements is used. It's a Greek word that signifies the fundamental or the first principle elements out of which the whole universe is made. In the realm of physics, it means the elements into which matter is ultimately divisible, the components from which everything's made in the natural world. 
And there was no word existing at the time that Peter was writing that's more appropriate in describing fundamental particles. Peter's statement is totally consistent with modern atomic theory, that there are indivisible fundamental particles, which he calls elements, from which all the matter of the universe is made. And so the Bible, again, shows itself to be scientifically accurate almost 2,000 years before the atomic theory was actually established as part of modern science in, in the 1800s. The atomic concept also makes sense philosophically, as it means that this finite universe is made up of a finite, albeit a very large, number of finite pieces or quanta. Uh, now, the alternative is that the physical universe consists of an infinite number of parts because it's continuous. But whenever you have infinity in this physical world, you, you actually create paradoxes. So it makes sense that everything's, there is a smallest possible units of matter, which makes this universe finite. Only God is actually infinite. And so while we can conceive of infinity in the realm of thought and spirit, God is infinite, the physical existence of, of infinities is paradoxical. And that means that space, time and energy must be quantized, as modern quantum theory has established. Well, Science finally caught up in 1803 when John Dalton developed the modern atomic theory, which is the foundation of modern chemistry. Dalton was a faithful Bible-believing Quaker, attending services each Sunday throughout his life, God-fearing, honest man, hard-working and methodical. He became the father of modern chemistry through the atomic theory. He put his main idea like this, matter, though divisible in an extreme degree, is nevertheless not infinitely divisible. That is, there must be some point beyond which we cannot go in the division of matter. I have chosen the word atom to signify these ultimate particles. And our word atom comes from the Greek word atomos. A compound word, the A, at the start is a negative, and the other part is to cut. So in other words, something that can't be cut, something that's indivisible, the smallest building block of the universe. Now, his atomic theory says, number one, all matter is made up of tiny particles called atoms, which are indivisible and indestructible. Number two, all atoms of a given element are identical in mass and properties, but are different from the atoms of any other element. Three, compounds are formed when atoms of different elements combine in fixed proportions. And four, a chemical reaction involves a rearrangement of atoms, not a change in the atoms themselves. And he also came up with the idea and the system of atomic weights and found some of them, and that later developed into the periodic table. And Dalton's work confirmed the Bible. He wasn't a genius by any means, but it was given to him to see this truth. And no doubt, as a faithful reader of the Bible, part of his inspiration came from the hints in the Bible that the universe consisted of fundamental particles, atoms and elements. And so his theory still remains essentially valid today. Although, of course, we know a lot more about atoms than, than Dalton did. Uh, the atoms that, uh, that we know now are not actually the fundamental, the ultimate fundamental particles that Dalton thought they were, but actually they're made up of a nucleus of positively charged protons and neutral neutrons surrounded, as it were, by a cloud of negatively charged electrons. 
The simplest atom is hydrogen with one proton and one electron. The atomic number, which is the number of protons, is one. The atomic weight, the number of protons and neutrons, which weigh about the same as each other, uh, is, is one. Electrons weigh very little. Then we have helium with two protons and two neutrons. Atomic number two, atomic weight four, surrounded by two electrons. Ge generally, you have an equal number of protons and neutrons in the nucleus and the same number of electrons in orbit. So you get the next element by adding an extra proton, an extra neutron, and an ex extra electron. The next one is lithium with three of each. Atomic number three, atomic weight six. Carbon has six of each. Uh, atomic number six, atomic weight 12. All the elements can be arranged together in the periodic table, which reflects the patterns in which the electrons can fill their orbits, which in turn controls the chemical properties of the elements and how they react with each other. Neutrons and protons are held together in the nucleus by the strong nuclear force, which has to overcome the electrical repulsion of the positively charged protons in the nucleus. Electrons are held around the nucleus by the electrical attraction between their negative charge and the positive charge of the protons. The energy released in chemical reactions derives from this electric force binding electrons to the nucleus when the electrons change their energy levels when atoms recombine and that can release chemical energy. But the greater energies of nuclear power come from the strong nuclear force, which is much stronger, binding the nucleus together. For when the protons and neutrons are rearranged by fission, uh, splitting the atom, or fusion, making bigger atoms, great energy can be released as the potential energy stored within the bonds is loosed, as those particles that were bound are loosed from each other. We now know that even protons and neutrons are not the fundamental indivisible particles, but they consist of three quarks, each of them consists of three quarks, that are believed to be the actual fundamental particles. The standard model, which has been very successful in explaining all the experimental data, has a relatively small number of fundamental particles. Quarks, electrons, neutrinos, gluons and photons out of which all matter and energy is built. And this leads us naturally on to the idea of nuclear reactions and atomic bombs. Atomic theory, you see, led to the discovery of nuclear reactions and the invention of nuclear power and atomic bombs. The immense power of both nuclear reactions and atomic bombs were anticipated in the Bible. The first atomic bomb, as well as nuclear reactors, worked on the principle of atomic fission, where a heavy element like uranium is split into two smaller pieces with a net loosing of nuclear binding energy released as radiation, including heat and light, and energetic radioactive particles. This is splitting the atom. Notice how this fission, initiated by one neutron, releases three neutrons. This is what causes a self-perpetuating chain reaction, where these three neutrons split three more nuclei, each releasing nine neutrons, which then split nine atoms and so on, in an ever-increasing cascading effect. With a bomb, this energy releases uncontrolled, but in a nuclear reactor it, it's controlled by inserting moderating rods to absorb the neutrons. Even greater energy is released by atomic fusion, where smaller elements are combined, fused, to produce heavier ones, but again in such a way as to reduce the overall binding energy of nuclear bonds, which is then released as electromagnetic radiation and high-speed radioactive 
particles. Atomic fusion of hydrogen into helium produces the heat of the sun. Fusion would give us unlimited energy, but as yet we've not been able to control or harness fusion in, in order to use it to give energy through a fusion reactor. Well, there are weapons of mass destruction in our modern world, and this is a new thing. Did the Bible predict this? Yes, indeed. Until 1945, the world could not even conceive or imagine something like a, a destructive power of an atomic bomb. But the Bible did. It conceived of weapons of mass destruction and it predicted they would be invented and exist in the end times and would even threaten the very existence of mankind on the earth. Jesus spoke about the conditions on earth at the end of the age, just before his return. Matthew 24, he said, Then there will be great tribulation, such as not been since the beginning of the world until this time. No, nor ever shall be. And unless those days were shortened, and they're shortened by the return of Christ, no flesh would be saved. But for the elect's sake, those days will be shortened. It's clear from the context that the return of Christ uh, brings the great tribulation to an end. He, he will shorten those days. The claim he makes is that this time period gets so bad that mankind will be about to completely destroy itself when he returns. No flesh would be saved. And this speaks of a total physical destruction on the earth. And this requires weapons of mass destruction. At the time this was written, this would have seemed a massive overstatement, a ridiculous thing. Scientifically impossible. Indeed, it seemed incredible even until 1945 when the first atomic bombs were, were exploded over Hiroshima and Nagasaki as World War II came to an end. Then with the atomic age coming into being, everything changed. Only nuclear warfare, you see, through its destructive power and the fallout in the atmosphere of radiation could cause all life on Earth to perish. Jesus' words only make sense with nuclear weapons, describing the spectre of a coming atomic holocaust. Therefore, this predicts that in the end time, man will develop nuclear weapons and the capacity to deploy them worldwide. And impressively, the kind of nuclear reactions and atomic disintegration that take place in atomic bombs and in the stars is perfectly described in 2 Peter chapter 3, speaking of the end of the universe. He says, the heavens will pass away with a great noise and the elements will be dissolved with fervent heat. Both the earth and the works that are in it will be burnt up. Therefore, since all these things will be dis dissolved, what manner of persons ought you to be in holy conduct and godliness, looking for and hastening towards the coming of the day of God, the eternal state in the new universe, because of which the heavens will be dissolved, being on fire. The elements will melt with fervent heat. The universe you see, is coming to an end. This present universe is tainted with sin and the curse. And it will not just disappear, though. It says it will be destroyed according to a physical process that God will set in motion that we can actually understand according to the laws of, of atomic physics. It will be consumed by his own fire, as all the energy held within the nuclear bonds holding the elements together are loosed and dissolved. Thus, it will end in a fiery destruction the destruction of the cities of the plain by fire in Genesis 19 are described by Jude and 2 Peter as being examples or types of this future judgment of fire. Notice some key words that Peter used here. Elements describe the fundamental particles of the universe in which matter is ultimately divisible. Just like all words are built up from the letters, the elements of the alphabet. Then he says dissolved. 
they'll be dissolved. He describes something that will happen at the fundamental level of the elements, the basic building blocks of the universe. He declares that in this final great fire, the elements will be dissolved, they're all loosed from each other with fervent heat. And he says all things will be dissolved, the elements will melt with fervent heat. Now the word translated dissolved is from the Greek verb luo, to loose, the setting free of something that is bound. See, at the moment, there are strong nuclear forces that bind quarks together to form protons and neutrons, and which bind protons and neutrons together to form the nucleus. And then there are electromagnetic forces that bind the electrons in orbit around the nucleus to form atoms, and then the, which bound atoms together into molecules, which form the matter that we're familiar with. But one day, this says, God will end this universe by loosing all these bonds which hold these elements together to form atoms and molecules. And this will result in an enormous release of energy as the energy stored in those bonds is then manifested as radiant heat and the rapid motion and energetic vibration of the individual fundamental particles. And both of these effects are described by Peter. He says, first, the elements will be dissolved with fervent heat. The earth will be burnt up. The elements will be dissolved, being on fire. The elements will melt with fervent heat. You see, at the end, all the elements of matter will be dissolved in a fervent heat. He describes the loosing of all bonds between elemental particles, both electromagnetic and nuclear. As, the as these bonds between electrons and protons are loosed, all molecules will disassociate into atoms, releasing all their chemical energy. Then the atoms will be stripped of their electrons, forming a plasma, releasing even more heat. Then as the strong nuclear bombs are loosed, which hold the protons and neutrons together, nuclear energy would be released on a massive scale. And this is what happens on a small scale when we have atomic fission and fusion. Because in an atomic reaction, a tiny part of the energy binding the nuclei together is released as energy, resulting in great heat. Tens of millions of degrees. An atomic fusion of hydrogen to helium is what produces the heat of the sun. So, and then the loosing of the strong bonds between quarks that form protons and neutrons would create an even greater release of energy. And so the loosing and dissolving of the elements from each other would result in an unimaginably massive release of energy so that everything would melt with a fervent heat. And when a substance is in a molten state, the bonds that held it firm in the solid state have been loosed or dissolved so that the elements now move more freely. So when verse 12 says the elements will melt with fervent heat, this is an accurate description using the language available to Peter of what would happen when God released all the binding energy between the fundamental particles. The heavens also, number two, it says the heavens will pass away with a great noise. This word is related to the high-pitched sound of something moving quickly. It contains the idea of motion and energetic vibration. It accurately describes the rapid motion and energetic vibration of these loosed elemental particles. Man's wisdom in the days of Peter knew nothing about the atomic structure of matter, nor that everything is composed of molecules, of atoms bound together electrically, and that the atoms have a complex nucleus, tightly bound together by nuclear forces, but which can be split, and in so doing release an enormous amount of energy. It is surely impressive that Peter's detailed description of the process by which this universe will come to an end is totally consistent with modern atomic theory and nuclear physics.
Using the av language available at that time, it is hard to imagine a more accurate description of nuclear processes. His description accurately described what already happens on small scale in nuclear bombs and at the heart of stars, but extending it to the whole universe. This is another example of the amazing scientific accuracy of the Bible and how its descriptions of nature are well ahead of its time, showing that it must have been written under divine inspiration.